knobs to twiddle over there, mate. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, looking very professional. I like it. It does the trick. I've got a little home studio, so it's, uh, it's come in handy. I'm in the same kind of boat, this little area here behind the camera. Used to be a door that I blocked in. I've made this real. Like, I can almost touch wall to window. There's a nice little narrow space, and I've just got LED lights set up now, so I can try and get it in a spot for the puppy to cause mischief and mayhem <laughs> while I'm making content. Beautiful. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good setup. Yeah, it's going all right. I like the uh, the blade in the background, just uh, ninjing into the. Adding and it's great. Yeah, haven't had to pull it out on any call yet, but it's uh, it's, no, it's just it's a, a nice little reminder. Yeah, yeah, don't go too far. How have you been? And I can't even work out how long it's been since we've connected. It's like six, seven years. It's been, know. it's been ages. It's been, yeah, it probably, oh man, like when, when you were back here in Melbourne, shit, that was. When did you leave Melbourne? It was like seven, yes, yes, six or seven years. So probably, yeah, at least that long. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I was doing that when when we reconnected online. I was like, hang on a moment. We've known each other for a fairly long time now. But back in the days of Blitz magazine. Oh, wow, yes. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Yep. And and that was before I discovered jujitsu, so... I started jujitsu two thousand three. Okay, so we're yeah probably two thousand two thousand and one, sort of around that that sort of time. There's a few it's, years. It's just ridiculous when you think you've known someone for twenty years. Wow, time flies. That's crazy. It really, really does. It really, really does. What have you been up to? I've been I've been uh, doing all sorts of different things. Um, obviously, with the the current climate the gym mm. business side of things is uh, sort of on the back step. Um, been difficult to, to run uh, a professional dojo in, in these circumstances. Um, but I've been very, very fortunate to have repositioned um, quite some time ago to be doing coaching as online coaching, transformational coaching, business coaching. And so yeah, so the gym business is kind of a hobby, and this has been my main thing for for quite quite some time. So, yeah, so it's been going good. I've had a few breaks here and there where I've sort of taken time off. I've had a, f- a few health things happen, just like totally unexpected, out of the blue, where where I've had some health issues, where I've you know had to reevaluate things as you do. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, being being good, being busy, really, really enjoying the client work that I'm doing, like the people that I'm getting to connect with, and and the the work that I'm doing in that regard has been very very fulfilling. So it's it's I, good. I don't find it surprising that you've moved into that space. It seems to be that people who have done martial arts and coached martial arts get pulled towards this greater context of coaching. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it kind of happened for me. It happened uh, pretty organically in the sense of obviously when you're working with people in close proximity for a long period of time, you end up forming like 
almost like a brotherhood type of dynamic mm. and the, the camaraderie where you do confide in each other. And, and certainly um, the mentors that I've had within the martial arts space have fulfilled that role um, as actual mentors, not just, you know, physical coaches. They've yeah. definitely, you know, been very, very embodied um, men that have been, you know, very powerful influence on my life. So having had that example, um, it, it was a pretty natural step, but it kind of happened organically from the perspective of certain clients that I was doing one-on-one training, coaching them. They're also business owners and entrepreneurs. And um, by just by life, uh, initially one of them moved into state and uh, it, just before he left, he's like, look, I want to keep in contact with you. Can, can I get coaching with you by just by phone calls? And so it just kind of happened or, organically in, mm. in, in, in that regard. Um, and obviously I've deliberately gone out and studied coaching, you know, in terms of like NLP and hypnotherapy and timeline therapy and all sorts of other, you know, change modalities to actually help um, with the, with the process, but the martial arts is so laden with deep truths. When you actually look at the, a lot of the core principles and traditional sort of elements that are within, within the martial arts, um, that it's, it's just ripe for that kind of influence that you can have, you know, in, in connecting with another person, examining those principles and, and sort of looking at how they, they might be applying to not just a combative type situation, but deeper insights into, into dealing with life. Um, yeah. So it's no, more. it's no surprise that yourself, you know, very long history in the martial arts and, and obviously also in the transformation space, like physically transforming people, you were one of the early adopters of CrossFit. Like mm-hmm. I remember way back in the day before that sort of combat conditioning type of mentality was really known about possibly outside of military or, or the martial arts type of training. You were one of the early guys, you know, getting on board with that and really spearheading a lot of that development. So it's no, to me, to my mind, it's no surprise that those sorts of change modalities keep expanding um, in the sense of how you work with people. It's just another tool, really another tool for helping people, um, get whatever result or experience that they're, they're looking for. So. Mm. Yeah. I think the interesting thing that you're talking about is change. Mm. It's all about change. And when people are drawn to wanting some kind of change or life to be somehow other than it is. Yeah. Or to start their journey, they get drawn to things like martial arts and fitness and coaches. Now therapy sometimes yeah, Men's absolutely. Yeah. Uh, women's groups, any kind of groups, yoga, like so many people I know here. I mean, Moose is like this mecca for yoga. Yeah. Lots of people doing these kind of things. And uh, I think it's, I just think it's fundamental, this understanding that what it is, is it's change work. Mm. You know, it's not sit on your ass and dream about it. It's actually do some work to create the change you want. Yeah. And it is definitely work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, you know, it can be in the trenches, blood and guts type of, you know, processing stuff. So it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, a, and now's an interesting time, right? Because it's 
stopped, well, not stopped, let's say it's paused the ability to get in front of people and have that true connection where you're in the same room, sharing the same energy in the same space. And we get this kind of a relationship, which is still awesome, but it's something different to manage it somehow. Uh, you know, another, almost another little hurdle. I have a lot of my clients who've said, I'm not going to see you unless I can see you face to face. It's okay, but it's not really that different. We can still connect. And yeah, I think interesting one. It, it's, it's, it is a dynamic and, and certainly some people absolutely prefer the face-to-face or the touch oh, contact. Or, yeah. And, yeah um, but it is what it is. You know, the, I think the adaptability to an end result, mm-hmm. um, you just do your best with what you have, where you are type of thing. You can actually do incredible work regardless. So, you know, we're, we're very blessed to be able to do this. Like, man, like to, to be able to do face-to-face streaming type of things um you know back in the day when i first started getting into i recently after i left blitz i started a digital video production company and to do streaming like this um especially live streaming was was around eighty thousand dollars per stream to do to do that so now now we can do it you know from from your phone you know for free as part Crazy. of just your subscription to whatever network you're yeah so so it's it, it really is a miracle the the connectivity that we do actually have so um even though it's a bit of a weird time at the moment and it is i think waking people up in many different ways we're still very lucky that we still have access to being able to still connect like like this it's it's powerful yeah, I was. I remember when the first lockdown hit Australia, and we had about three months where it was like, "Well, what the fuck do we do now? Are we? Can we go outside? Are we all going to die? Is the economy going to fall over?" And you'd walk down the street and people would look at you funny. So yeah. kind of state, even here in Noosa, where it's it's effectively a country town for what, 10, 11 months of the year, there's no one here. So I got online and said, right, well, if we can't connect, let's, let's work out a way of connecting. And I did a weekly men's group for, I don't know, maybe eight weeks of those sort of 12 weeks we were locked down. And it kind of naturally fizzed off at the end where people were like, oh, I've kind of worked out how to manage it. But I always think back, like, what would we have done if there wasn't this kind of video conferencing availability? Would we have remembered that we could jump on the phone? Would we have done nothing? But hard, to, hard to say, but it's so yeah, hard think, to say. I think, uh, I think, especially for guys, it's uh, socially tends to be more of a community catch up, or it's at the club, or at the gym, or at the, and we don't tend to. And I'm generalizing, so you know, for those listeners, comparing you know the differences between men and women, but women do tend to be more readily on the phone talking to each other, whereas guys don't tend to do that as much. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's powerful that you were able to create a space, especially when that first wave of fear came through. Um, There's a ton of uncertainty and just massive, you know, amounts of what we may think is now propaganda potentially, uh, 
it was a very, very strange time. So it was mm. great that you were able to ground people and provide an opportunity to just, just to connect. That was awesome. It was such good fun. And just the ability to jump in the deep end and have a deep and meaningful conversation, not a, are we going to the pub to have a beer and let's talk about something completely innocuous that no one's going to remember in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. There are some, there, there's some advantages to this as well. I think sometimes these sorts of dynamics uh, for guys as well, if they're in their own space, like meaning their home or even sometimes their car, and they can they can open up in that environment. Whereas sometimes when and I'm again I'm generalizing, sometimes when there's a larger group of guys, it can actually take quite a bit of um, vulnerable leading to actually get oh, them sure. to to open up. Um, so this is a good medium, I think, for for guys to still have a way to be truthful um, and to reflect on how other people are experiencing things. Um, it's, it's powerful to be be completely honest. This whole podcast came out of, we got locked down again for a week or two. It was, it was, how dare I complain in Noosa, right? And I'm not, (laughs) we got locked down. My clinical business fell over because everyone kind of sees hypnotherapy as this, uh, it's kind of like getting a massage. They, They kind of think it's a treat to themselves for some reason. It's just this perception. So I'd moved out of the clinic that I was in because the space wasn't working for me. It's lovely space, just wasn't working for me. Different energy, different feel, slightly different practitioner approach, all wonderful, not the same direction as myself. And I thought, well, I'm gonna go back to using my home. My home's got this wonderful feeling, this old 70s beach house. I've got plants everywhere, I'm gonna do it here. That week, I booked all my clients in at home, locked down. And so my kids are home from school and I have to call everyone up and sorry, I can't, I yeah. can't see you. And they'd already wow. said, well, I was going to call you because I wasn't coming anyway. Yeah. All right. Pivot hard. What's next? Make some phone calls, start talking to some people. This podcast started out of my desire to scratch my own itch. Yeah. And have some conversations again. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to have two or three weeks without clinical work where I listen to people's deep stories and I do what I can to help, then how am I going to get that connection? No one wants to go down to the surf club or wherever else to, to catch up at the moment. What's that going to be? All right, let's do this. Perfect. And then, all, then all of a sudden it rolls on, right? People are like, oh, I'm really connecting with what you're putting out there. Ah, Because okay. it's real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not trying to, you know, look, I've got something to sell, but I'm not trying to sell anything. Well, I can coach people. I've coached people for over 20 years. Okay, yep. yeah, I can do that. But ask me rather than me tell you, I will coach you. Pick up what I'm putting down first. And then the funniest thing is, so I started using Facebook again. I've, I've been using Instagram a little bit because I'm quite visual. So looking at people's photos about what they're doing in the world, I quite enjoy that. Don't really deep dive. But I've been back on Facebook looking at groups, uh, looking at people's feeds, reconnecting with people. And as soon as I got back on, every I would say not every ad, but nine out of 10 ads are about how to be a better coach. You know, here's my coaching practice. I'm like, which, which device heard that I, did I type coaching into the wrong place? Everyone who I've never heard of before telling me that they can make me a better coach or make me sell better. No, 
sorry, I've been business coaching in the fitness industry and I've seen all of these processes and I've even had clients who were going to sign up to me who picked a very American model, the jam it down their throat kind of way of marketing, which is good if your city's got 20 million people in it, not the country. Yeah. And then come back to me and said, it didn't work. I'm like, well, it didn't work. It's not you. You've put the cart before the horse. So it's, yeah, getting back onto social media and, and, I find that whole dynamic really interesting that the people that coach coaches. Well, that's me. Um, I, I coach coaches. A lot of, a lot of the clients you've that I have before, right? You understand what I mean? There's a big difference. True. You're true. But you've, you know, obviously the algorithm you've been profiled with their million points of data on your last 20 years of online activity. Mm-hmm. You're, you're back online and they're like, okay, you're, you fit, you fit the category. So this stuff, (laughs) it's funny though, isn't it? It's, it's powerful. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. I I always think coach the coach. Okay. Right. And do you coach other people as well? Like what's your history? Yeah. So not just you, I'm talking about the people. Oh, the people that 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 are, yeah. Yeah. You do the research on them and see. What have you actually done? And then you can't find anything except what they're selling you. It's, so, it's such an interesting dynamic. I'm like, oh, I'm back on Facebook. Okay, I see what's going on here. <laughs> Haven't missed this. Yeah, it's, about your it's funny. So, yeah, basically, I, I do tend to work with a lot of men, um, a lot of male entrepreneurs, not always married, so sometimes divorced, um, but usually they're in the mid-40s to right up to 60. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of wealthy um, business owners sometimes they've sold it, uh, sold their businesses and you know now doing other passion type projects but yeah. um, predominantly a lot of that my business mindset and um, consciousness training for entrepreneurs so uh, a tricky one to market but it's uh, yeah, so it's a very like a niche within a niche within a niche type of thing mm-hmm. um, and so I've been using a particular model that I developed like nearly 30 years ago, which is uh, inspired and based on a lot of wisdoms that are in the martial arts as well. Um, And yeah, I really have some, some pretty profound uh, tools to, to work with obviously a a wide range of of clientele, but certainly training um, entrepreneurs and uh, also working with coaches, helping them create programs, helping them market, um, help them build, you know, high-end um, or high-ticket, you know, coaching programs, those, those sorts of things. I've also uh, done a, a fair bit of work. Um, I have to be careful what I say, but working as a consultant for other well-known marketers or, or coaches where I've um, been hired to ghostwrite books or ghostwrite programs um, for for them to roll out. Mm. So that's that's been quite interesting over the last sort of two years, um, specifically doing a little bit more of that sort of high end type of work. So yeah, so it's been it's been really good and and it's been um, very rewar- very rewarding in the sense of you know because so many people are are looking to take their knowledge 
and monetize it online, um, mm. there's definitely a, a really uh, growing need for uh, pairing up that dynamic with the actual ability to deliver a change. So, so often I'll work with, um, you know, a client that may be an expert in their thing, but may not yet be an expert in coaching their thing in other people. So, you know, so that's been really rewarding dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been good. It's been good. And there's definitely common themes uh, that, uh, that tend to, to pop up. Um, But, but it's, it's, it's also diverse enough to keep me interested. Um, People are endlessly interesting. I absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And along the way, I've still maintained having my own coaches as in coaches that coach me and, you know, being able to do work with, with coaches and, having them poke at my blind spots and you know here look at this or have you considered this you know it's been it's been it's been good so yeah Yeah. so so that's yeah the majority of the work really is um sort of around this central theme of consciousness Mm -hmm. and then then learning particular skill sets and tools around how to use that that understanding towards creating a a particular change so it's yeah it's pretty cool so when you say consciousness what would be something that you would be working through with someone let's say someone who's got knowledge wants to share the knowledge is it is it an awareness of what they've got are you working through barriers What, what would be the main things that you're working through with people so from that perspective, uh, initially determining who the ideal person is, that their ideal client is, like who, like the knowledge that they have, that like their zone of genius, the best suited, you know, endeavor for them is to serve a client using their zone of genius. So it doesn't make sense to try and serve someone with something you're not good at, um, which hopefully is obvious, but it's, it's worth sort of, you know, pointing that out it's if you want to be successful regardless of the business just in life i think you know choosing an occupation or a career or an endeavor where you can be at service using your zone of genius um and obviously it can take a while to work out what that is you know for some people but so starting (laughs) starting starting with uh you know working out who their ideal client is that would best benefit from their zone of genius and so then there's processes for actually identifying the the ideal client and then for example you might choose the ideal client and then of that ideal client type there's a thing called the Pareto principle which I'm sure you're aware of Mm -hmm. where 80% of the um, profit tends to come from 20% of the market so then ideally niching down one or two more layers um, within that ideal client type to identify a particular niche within a niche that is very unique and and then applying a process where we then unpack their knowledge or skill set to create a program or a step-by-step approach between whatever the problem is that that ideal client has or the opportunity that the coach is offering and then literally mapping out 
between the start point and the end point. You know, what are the step-by-step-by-step processes? Um, and, and then we map that out. And then we uh, usually create what's called a minimum viable product. So we create sometimes even just a map that's written down on a couple of cards. And then do plan. Yeah, and that literally a, a napkin plan and then connecting with people on social media and seeing if it, it resonates. So you you kind of pre-check before you build it out, you actually pre-check that there's a market for it. And there's different ways of doing that. You can you can do different things. Uh, and then ideally, as you're building out a minimum viable product, you also work with the 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 client. Well, the client works with their target market to build the product as well. So there's ways of actually having the end user identify things that they want and you actually, or the objections that they have or the obstacles, and that actually becomes the program um, because they're the things that are stopping the end user getting the result that they want. So, and this is, you know, this is fairly it's that side of things fairly straightforward in terms of creating products and programs like that as a process is, is pretty step-by-step, but it does take just a little bit of mental gymnastics and sometimes some templates or, or maps to use to then go, okay, I'm at step one and what's step two and, and to actually map it out. And then once, once we've, once they've got the minimum viable product, um, usually you know, creating some case studies. So actually proving the, the, the service. Mm. Um, so, so actually getting some of those clients, the actual result, and then you can then, whether that's at a discount or, or whatever, um, and then using, usually using those case studies as testimonials for further marketing um, to, to actually, you know, be able to scale it. So there's a, there is a, like literally a step-by-step um, process and different methodologies for, for each component. Um, and then, then looking at the same model from a marketing perspective. When I say the same model, I'm talking about the model of consciousness. Um, and there's some very, very, very powerful, very persuasive um, insights when you understand the way the, the majority of people are processing reality, um, it actually has huge implications for marketing um, as well. Can you so, share some of that? Uh, yeah, okay. So so the, the model, uh, I call it the seven attentions. So this, the seven attentions are basically a, a map of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have evidence that we have a physical body as we you know okay um and generally we're we can be aware that we think and that we can you know okay so i have a body that has i can see and taste and touch and i'm getting this information but with awareness you can catch yourself thinking about things and and so there's some some other mechanism that's going on that is empowering the process of our matter being able to be conscious um, being self-aware now we we don't have a full understanding of it i think eventually we'll hack it like whether it's with supercomputers 
or AI will come on and, and actually we'll, we'll be able to work out what consciousness is. But if, if we were to give uh, a metaphor, like a computer is a good metaphor or a phone is a good metaphor. So if you think of your body as the hardware and then we have software, the operating system that's on the, on the com computer can be upgraded. Bit harder to upgrade the actual hardware but the software you can, you can update. So that's very much like we've got a physical body and then we have mental operating systems that we use. But none of that works without a power source. So unless there's power, as we know it, electricity running through that, the computer, the, the hardware might be there, but it doesn't function in any meaningful way. And so the seven attentions is a map or a model of how consciousness, um, again, we have don't really have proper names really scientifically for, for what it is. So it's, it's still a bit of a, a, uh, a, an area to explore for science. Like it's a, a still quite a, a significant frontier, but there are ways of mapping it. Um, and so if we look at, again, just to give a couple of reference points before going through it, the, the way we know about reality, there's really only three ways we can determine what's real, like what's really happening. Um, the first is by direct sense. So literally any of the, those basic five senses and then arguably the sixth sense of thinking like rational thought or linguistic or mathematical thought. But when you start to look at what mathematical um, and li linguistic thought is, it's representational. So it's modeling something that we're perceiving externally and recreating it in different ways. So we, we, we know something quite unique is going on within the human mind. So if we can taste it, touch it, sense it and then someone else comes and can taste and touch and sense it and we can compare notes that's usually a pretty good litmus test for determining what's what's relatively real according to how we communicate to each other so the direct senses the second way we can determine what's real is by devices so we might use technology to like say, for example, magnify something that we can't see or use different frequencies um, to sense things that those frequencies are then interpreted by a machine or a computer that can create a visual representation of those frequencies. So even though with my ordinary senses, I couldn't necessarily see um, cells or, or certainly not you know, molecules, and those sorts of structures, but with computers and uh, technology or, or machinery, we're actually also able to determine what's real. Ultimately, we're still then looking at it or seeing it with personal senses. So we've got initially those, those two ways of sort of seeing what reality is, is doing. The third way is with models meaning we create, whether it's a mathematical model, whether it's a process map, um, where we have uh, modeled a theory 
in such a way that it can be cognitively understood and then applied to be predictable, to, to make certain specialized things uh, predictable by using the model. And so the model or the map is only as useful as its ability to get you to a specific place. If, if you're using a particular model um, and a lot of the scientific method uses this sort of creating a theory, being able to, you know, describe what the theory is and then testing the theory. Um, but many different models you can use, but ultimately the success of the model is its predictability in taking you somewhere. Okay, so we've got those three ways. So the, the what I call the seven attentions is a map of how you're consciously or unconsciously creating reality or the reality experience that we're having. Um, and uh, it, it's, quite, it's quite profound and it has um, simple explanations uh, and then it can get very, very complicated um, because at, once you go down the rabbit hole of consciousness, you discover it's, it's fractal which I don't know how much time you've got, but uh, Go for it. so, so consciousness being fractal is basically you start to see repeating patterns. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever seen the Mandelbrot computer generated and then you zoom in and then the same pattern keeps repeating and no matter how far you go in the thing, the same pattern keeps repeating. So when you, when you, look at certain models of consciousness and certainly the seven attentions because there's other models of consciousness it's you know there's many different ways to um theoretically model what our mind and our body and our awareness is doing um when you map it out you start to notice repeating patterns and it's the seven attentions basically each attention um they're kind of like a level of consciousness or a layer of consciousness. And each time you start to notice a, and I'll use the term deeper or higher, but sometimes when you start to see things that are deeper or higher, especially when it's put out visually, there's a tendency to put a better or like this level is superior to this level. And, that's a trap. Um, but ultimately what you'll notice when you start studying awareness is that there are repeating patterns through layers of consciousness. Um, and once you, once you've seen, once you've seen the map and you understand it, um, it's hard to unsee, um, what's actually happening. Um, especially when it's effective in terms of actually predicting and, and, and mapping uh, what happens um, when people are perceiving things. So, so to give some language around this, to talk about it, uh, it helps to label it. So especially when we're speaking to each other, um, I'm not at the stage yet where I can just kind of go um and transfer information. Although I got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so it does help to have some labels around each um, level and or each, uh, each att attention. 
Um, and once you've got the language for it, you can actually start to see it. And, and for those that are listening, a good analogy of this sort of thing, when I first started um, seeing mixed martial arts, for example, uh, I'd already been training martial arts for quite some time, had you know a couple of different black belts. So when I saw the early UFC fights, I could tell, oh, you know, he's fighting, they're wrestling, he's on top, he's got him in a headlock. I had some positional language. But it wasn't until I really got into studying Brazilian jiu-jitsu, as an example, where each of those positions had a name. And so once I started to, to understand the language, the labeling of the positions, then looking at it, you start to notice more details. Now, if I didn't have the language, it would be, it's not impossible, but it's much harder to recognize the patterns that are happening. So when we're, when we're talking about consciousness and, and coaching and these sorts of things, it can, it can be helpful to have a labeling system. So, so initially, the seven attentions, we could label them the first attention, the second attention, the third attention, and so on. Um, so to give them, are, you, are we fault? Is this tracking so far? Or you... Just keep going, mate. Okay. There's not. I, I told you before we started. No plan. Cool. No yeah, it's good. This is we good. We just go. We go off. But this is all about tangents. As soon as you said fractal, I'm like, baby, let's go for it. Awesome. Okay. But pull me up. Pull me up if something no, doesn't no, just, make sense or look, or honestly, whatever. Like if, you, if I'm talking shit, just go. Hold on, that doesn't make sense. Like call me out on stuff. It's all good. No, just just look. <laughs> someone's going to be picking up what you're putting down. I'm I'm processing as you talk, and it's lovely to be the one listening and not the one talking. So beautiful. Okay. So if we were to give them labels, your first attention is your identity. And so when, we, when we're walking around in ordinary consciousness, we're processing the world through our identity. Now, it's deeper than that, but this is just one way of just starting to label it. And again, once we label it, then we can start to go into it and actually unpack what that means and give some context to it. So your, your ordinary consciousness, the first state again, I call this the first attention, is uh, a state where we are very, very quickly processing the present moment of data that's coming in through our personal history. So meaning subconsciously, very, very quickly, what we're doing, and it's subliminal for most people, we're continually referencing the present moment through our previous experience. Now, this evolution or design, this is a, it's a good thing because it helps keep us safe. Um, however, if we happen to have had uh, a trauma experience or a peak experience in our past that we've had very strong physiological reaction to and we've made certain meanings are around and the meanings actually will anchor a lot of the, the then emotional reactions. We're, we're in the ordinary moment processing with those as references. Mm -hmm. And so we're in NLP terms, we're deleting information, we're distorting, we're generalizing, 
of the vast amounts of information, like literally billions of bits of information that are coming to us and through us at, at any given time, we're filtering it with a comparison to our personal history. Um, and so that's great because it keeps us safe, but it can be problematic because when we're making decisions around the present moment based on the past, there's a tendency to repeat patterns because of who, who we see ourselves to be and the context of how we're showing up is, is this an assemblage of our memory and our personal history. And so we could go into that from your, your thoughts, your feelings, your, the meanings that you've made, and then your habits um, and how that's all unfolding in, in real time. Um, so the first attention, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the human need that it fulfills is certainty and security. Um, but it can be problematic uh, because we're, we're not perceiving the total information that's actually available. And we're, we're um, projecting our personal history onto, onto what we're witnessing um, for speed and efficiency to survive. I really um, but like how you describe that. Because yeah. I've seen that time and time again where someone who wants to do this change work that we started talking about almost first thing, but their identity is such that they can't see themselves being other. I am this, therefore I can't be that. Yep. Or I don't like that label because I'm so strongly attached to this label. Therefore I can't see myself over there. And then all of the barriers come up. Yep. I can, and I don't know if I'm curious about this because I saw this in myself recently where I was, I don't like the idea of titles for, for coaches, for business people, for like when I was in the gym industry, I didn't want to be called a personal trainer. It was fucking stupid because everyone called me a personal trainer. Therefore, I was a personal trainer, but I just didn't like that label. Yeah. And I, I used to push back on it for a long time until, until one of my clients actually said to me, it doesn't matter what you think you are. It matters what the market thinks you are. If they think you're a personal trainer, you're a personal trainer. You can call yourself a fitness coach. You can call yourself a strength and conditioning coach. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I, I was trying to work out now that I'm pivoting and I've done clinical work and I've done coaching work and I've done fitness work and I'm moving and I'm trying to bring it all together. What am I going to use as a label so it's other label. people can understand what, what I you do. do? Yeah. And it took me a long time to come to it, but it was only, I actually had to do the thing that most of my male mentors say is feel into it. Stop thinking into it. Yep. I was lying in bed one morning, anxiously rubbing my feet. This is my habit, right? If I get anxious, that's where the energy is. It's my feet. And the word wellness coach, which is not a new word. It's not a new term. People have been using it for a bloody long time. Didn't come up with it. At sat, my body went still. I'm like, okay, I have to use that. Like I can think my way around this and tell myself I can't be a wellness coach because I don't like that wellness coach, that wellness coach, that wellness coach. Stop. No, I'm going to use it. That's like, that's where it is. I'm splitting hairs here. I'm telling myself I don't like labels. I don't like titles. I can't use. Well, how do I tell people what do I do? What I do. It's this difficult. identity thing, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's just a lovely way of presenting it. Yeah. But it's beautiful that you are able to listen to your body's yes. New thing, right? 
if you had if we had, had this chat two, three, four, five years ago, mm. I would have told you to piss off because I wouldn't have been ready to hear it. <laughs> Possibly. You know, like I would have been able to do the work, but I would have been like, I did I need a different label. I need and yeah. I remember when I first moved into hypnosis, the man who introduced me to my teacher, my second teacher actually when I did the deep dive in starting to learn about like what's really happening here. What, like, what is this? That's called a state. How do mm-hmm. we use it therapeutically? He said, I don't want to be called a hypnotherapist because I do hypnosis and the therapy does itself. I was like, Ooh, mm. okay. So I like that. It was, it's beautiful. But then my brain's like, okay, so do you call yourself a hypnotist? And then what are the connotations for the market when you talk about a hypnotist? Because most people's mind goes to stage hypnotist correct, or some kind of entertainment hypnotist. I don't think he used a title for himself just for the practice. So he kind of got away with it, which was lovely. I started using hypnotherapy because I wanted people to know if you come in, there's a therapeutic context to this. You're not coming in uh, just to shoot the shit and talk. I know that you are going to drop into this trance state because you have decided to. It's got very little to do with me. Sit in the chair. Thanks for coming. Let's, you know, you work it out. It is therapy. Yeah. This idea of labels that you're talking about is wonderful. Yep. Feeling into it. No, nah, wouldn't have done it, but now I'm, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you probably would have done it subconsciously, but not known you were doing it. Mm. Because the feeling of the no. Yeah. Yeah because you would have disagreed with it. And that in itself is what the feeling is doing, which is a a paradox, but this is one of the funny things we start to notice when we are ready to notice them. And start paying attention. Start paying attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. interesting. When people come in and something's going on and they're, they're judging themselves, whether it's therapy or coaching or just a conversation, my thing is, isn't that interesting? Because as soon as you can switch over to curiosity, opens. you're open. Mm-hmm. You become open all of a sudden. Yeah, it opens you from what I call the first attention to the second attention. Right, let's continue. Mm-hmm. That's which is pretty curious. Yeah. So the second attention is, is more of the details around what's actually going on. Like if you were to think of labeling something, once it's been labeled, if you maintain your unnoticing of it, more labels and more details start landing. Yeah. Um, and so the, those details, if we to communicate them to another person, they come out in our language, our store, like the stories that we're telling, the thing, the things that we're saying, um, and different ways that a person is processing reality start to become more obvious. So as you know, most of us have a sort of a bit of a predication towards different senses and that will show up in language. So we'll use seeing words or feeling words or thinking words and so on. And and so when people start, when, when we start to go into the, the details around things, or you notice your own thinking, uh, the those details start to become recognizable patterns, and and so as a coach or for marketing, you know, just noticing, ah, oh, okay, they're they're 
more visual or they're going visual feeling, you know, whatever the other detail is. Um, so those things start to become apparent and, and how people are imagining or remembering things um, will have different details around them as well from the perspective of sometimes they'll remember things from their own body or they'll be making a memory like a movie where they're watching themselves third person, you know, watching what's going on. And each of those have an impact around what's being remembered or imagined um, and the, and obviously the different distortions that, that, uh, that go with, you know, our, our thinking. So the first attention is this ability to label things but when you go a bit deeper, we're really what we're starting to talk about is the 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 thinking um, and all of the details around the subject matter that's within your attention. And again, this is just a way of it, it's not still not exactly what it is, but it's just a way of having the the conversation because then when you have the words, you can then notice it. So when I work with people doing this, I'll often uh, assign games to play with consciousness that train your consciousness to notice these, these sorts of things. So one might be just notice every time you go to a red light, a traffic light, and just when you hit, hit, get to that red light and you notice that it's a red light, catch yourself noticing that it's a red light and then celebrate the fact that you caught yourself noticing that it was a red light. And it's kind of, you could do this around anything, but um, another one's like training, catch yourself thinking about martial arts training. Um, Uh, And then all the time. So, (laughs) but what it does is it teaches um, it's the, one of the first exercises in a set of techniques I call the art of stalking, which is where we're turn. We're basically training our consciousness to face itself. Mm, so instead, instead of just facing the external world, we're then starting to realize that someone is noticing. Like who is the one that's noticing and what is being noticed? And it's a way of, it is a way of turning your mind to, to face itself, not just in the subject matter, but then in the details of what you're noticing. Mm-hmm. So the third attention is then what you feel when you notice it. Because anytime you keep your attention on anything for any extended period of time, you'll have a corresponding correlation to, again, what I call your emotional assemblage point, which is feeling within your body and throughout your body in different ways. And so when we can see something and I've identified it and I'm noticing details around it, what what feel what feelings come up in in my body what am i what am i focusing on um and uh is it a pleasure feeling is it a pain feeling um and what type of feeling is it like is it is it a wave is it pushing is it squeezing is it releasing so again, I'm, I'm actually then going back to the first attention to label and give detail around a feeling. And this is where we start to notice that our perception is fractal in the sense of there's this repeating because it's your consciousness, studying your consciousness, the way you're doing it 
re reveals a repeating pattern. Mm -hmm. um, so then we, the, for the fourth attention, we start to track meaning and context. And this one's a tricky one for people. It's kind of like air in the sense of we're breathing, but we don't know, generally we don't notice the fact that we're in air and we're breathing. So the meaning that we're assigning to things is for most people very subconscious and hidden. And so when you Did go you into, yeah, it's like you, 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 you generally have to do a bit of work to reveal it. Um, and so part of that process might be going through the feelings and then what do the feelings and the details and the label, like what, what does that mean specifically? And there are different questions you can ask to go into that to, to reveal the meaning. And it's usually a, a series like an, equ an equation. And the deep work is to reveal that equation. So, for example, um, hot plus hurt equals bad or hot plus hurt equals avoid. So if I've previously in my personal history put my hand on a hot plate, um, then every time I see a hot plate, just even for like a microsecond, because I've hot plate plus the heat, on, in this case on my hand, is it hurts, that's bad, I've then assigned a meaning to that I'm then filtering. But it's it's not a single, usually it's not a single thing. It's a it's a an assemblage of context. And it's not always the truth. Meaning the, the uh, I could have a, a stove top that is not on and I could put my hand on it and it won't hurt. So it's it but it's but it's can be very, very powerful in influencing how what sensations I have because of the personal history that I've acquired. And so again, when we when we're working with with people, it can be very, very helpful to go through a process of okay, what are we talking about? We can give it a label, or sometimes I'll say, give it a movie title. Like if this scenario was a movie, movie, what what movie title? Could we give it? So we could say, um, you know, and and again, ho trigger warnings. Hopefully, you know, I'm not offending anybody. But let's say, oh, the bitch left me. So I had a, a coaching call um, earlier where we were discussing a separation, and so the the without obviously naming, but uh, the label in that case was the bitch left me. So we've given it like a, a label and a title. And then we go into the story. Mm -hmm. uh, the blah, 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 blah. And we could get, you know, sometimes the overt deletions or overt generalizations and those sorts of things we can note. Um, things to reveal things that are being hidden or ignored in the language. Uh, but then we can go into the, the feelings of it. What, how does the story make you feel? You know, what, how's, how's that showing up for you? And to actually get the, the client actually in touch with what's going on. 
and it can, can obviously go a lot of different directions and there's a lot of different tools and it depends on what the client's aims are. But sometimes it can also then be helpful to reveal what the meanings are that are being used or the rules or agreements are that are often subconscious that are being used to create those feelings. Um, so, you know, the, the story that she left me is bad is, is a perspective and it may or may not be that the absolute truth. Um, so again, ho hopefully you can sort of see, uh, we're just using that as, as an example, but there we're starting to go through the first four of uh, the seven attentions. And it, it's useful because a lot of other tools can be then and processes can then be plugged into uh, what gets revealed um, in the course of the coaching. But say, say for marketing, for example, how this would apply to marketing, because some people that are listening to this may have may not be coaches and may not have an interest in coaching. Let's say marketing, for example. If you have an image that's flashed to you in, in marketing, if that image matches your aspirational identity, it will hook your attention. If there's like an obviously a, a, an attractive person of the maybe the opposite sex, you know, there may be, you know, things that we can see visually that will hook our attention. Um, it could be a sudden movement, a loud noise. But once we see it, if we see something that is relatable to us, it holds our attention. So it could be the image of a couple. It could be, you know, like how marketing shows things. It's depending on the nature of the marketing, it may show you your worst fear or it may show you an aspirational identity, like the thing that you want. As an example, again, there's many different methods for using this sort of thing. So then you could look at headlines and what's written in the headline. And the headline, when you look at, if you go through your ads on Facebook, it might say attention so-and-so, like it will label the thing that you may have through your browser history and your other million data points self-identified with your online interactions that you identify with that label. And so that means that you're, it'll hold your attention for, for just a few seconds. So again, if you can have an image that is like a mirror, like the perfect example would be a mirror. Like all of a sudden I see myself in a mirror that will hook most people's attention and hold them. And then depending on the nature of the ad or what the, persuas the persuasiveness is, you would be revealing things that are either a problem or an opportunity, and that's the story, that trigger an emotion, which then you can show uh, or align a particular value to that motivates a behaviour. And so when you, understand, when you understand what people are doing in terms of the process of cognition, you can then actually deliberately architect that in your, in your marketing. So for those of you that are listening that have got no interest in coaching, um, just to make some sense of it, the, the same process, when you start to see what's being done in good marketing, because not all marketing does this, um, but good marketing, 
it will be speaking to that to the identity of the person, the details or the story, the copy that's in there or the image um, will be portraying a relatable story and conveying usually a problem or an opportunity that triggers an emotional feeling. Mm -hmm. And so we, we know most people are making their decisions based on the feeling and then just justifying it logically. And, and again, a lot of these things can happen very, very quickly um, and usually subconsciously. Uh, yeah, but internally, if you can determine, oh, this end result means this, which is the where I'm making meaning of it, and the aspirational identity is desirable enough, people will hand over cash or their behavior will be compelled to a particular thing that the marketing is directing them towards. So again, you can see you can see this process showing up in in many different ways. But the, in terms of the first five, who we see ourselves to be in the situation, how we're thinking, what we're feeling, what meaning we're making, actually is the architecture behind what we do. Um, and again, a lot of what we do is by habit and by repetition, and a lot of the time we're in a in and out of different trance states throughout the day um but when you stop and notice and you unpack what's actually going it follows this this same pattern um and it's very valuable as a skill set not just from like millions of dollars have been generated from my clients uh and for myself using this this process in terms of being able to convey a persuasive, compelling message to compel a particular action, um, and you know, it's 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 very very powerful when you turn that on yourself, like to be able to go, okay, who am I? Who am I in this situation? And like you said at the beginning, often that reflective nature is because the situation that I'm seeing is not what I want. Not always, but human behavior, we're four hundred times more likely to take a new course of action to avoid a pain or move away from yeah, some away sort of from rather than towards. Yeah. So, so true. Yeah. So interestingly enough, a lot of the elite entrepreneurs that I've gotten to work with are more towards motivated. Yep. Um, which is, it's just interesting to note. They still have the, you can't have one without the other. There is no towards without away from. Okay. And that's again, this emotional, you know, wanted not wanted um but uh it's it's interesting to note that they're more forward focused than away from focused and i'm generalizing but that's that tends to be a trend um that i'm sure yeah, you've, you've seen as well yeah oh, absolutely yeah, yeah we, absolutely. We, we, need, we need both we need to understand okay here's the situation here's the problem here's the consequences and what do i actually want and it's helpful to analyze why you want what you want and just check in that you're actually in alignment with that. Um, because a lot of the problems that we end up in life is because we have parts of ourselves that want different things. We want to have our cake oh, yeah. and, eat, and eat it too. And this is where we can have fragments right down to the identity level where we, we see ourselves as one way, but put us in a different situation we see ourselves a different way and they may end up having very conflicting behaviors and, and 
for different reasons, we all have these different aspects to our personality, like the label we could say, okay, I'm a, I'm a father or I'm a business person or I'm a husband or I'm a coach, whatever. Like we all wear different hats. That's normal. Um, but sometimes when you get into it, you, you can really discover these deep conflicting parts where you want something, but then you've got some other thing, other part of you that's feeling blocked or held back or scared or hesitant. Mm-hmm. And it can be, it can be very helpful to, through this process, bring them to the surface and then actually examine them and decide, you know, whether to integrate them, uh, whether to hear them both and get the value of what both parts need to say to each other um, and convey the different meanings and emotions to each other. And then ask if it's okay for one part to take a step back for the other part to take precedence so that we can get the result that we actually want. So again, there's many different methods you can use to, once you start revealing some of this stuff, uh, to work with it to get an end result, but it's it's incredibly powerful and it literally is a map, like step by step by step. Um, then then you start to notice there are uh, commonalities between men and women. And again, th- this is I'm generalizing, but when you draw when you draw the seven attentions out. Um, there are masculine predispositions for um, the majority of them. And there are corresponding feminine archetype and archetypes, probably the best way to say it. You could say yin and yang. Um, and these are just common aspects that we, we both have masculine. I believe I'm going to project. I believe we both have masculine and feminine uh, aspects to our personality. And sometimes uh, the use of uh, those aspects uh, show up more commonly in men and in men and women, and and when you when you start to notice different details around it, it's mappable. And um, yeah, which is useful for when you're taking yourself through the different layers of of consciousness for looking for particular things, to, so that you're ready to notice them. I love it all. The more and more I talk to people that are uh, doing this kind of coaching work, the more and more I, 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 I internally I kind of celebrate as my Zen master is just sitting here now. The teacher. Yeah, she's my teacher. An eight-year-old puppy knows more about consciousness than I do or, or awareness, I should say. She's just like, hey, you aren't feeding me, loving me or walking me at the moment. Yes, darling. <laughs> but we were what you're talking about is a lot of the kind of stuff that you learn when you're learning about hypnosis, regardless of this idea of induction and deepening and all of the kind of stuff that freaks people out about trance work, but just the idea about bringing unconscious awareness into conscious awareness. And the simplest thing that I explain to people is just working with smokers mm-hmm. because they'll say stuff to themselves. Like I want to stop smoking. I don't want to smoke anymore. It's all very away negative language. So the first thing I do is flip that and say, you want to become a non-smoker. So it's an identity change rather than a behavior change because you can't smoke if you're a non-smoker. It doesn't make any sense. So it fractures that kind of connection. Yep. So all of a sudden they have to they have to flip everything internally. Yep. 
So, so we're moving to that. And then all of a sudden there's no judgment because it's, it's not about smoking is bad. And I'm using this because it's analogous to just about everything else that you want to change. It's just a really obvious one for people to get their head around. Yep. And then the parts bit that you were talking about, I have had so many people come to me and they're like, I did hypnosis for smoking once before and it didn't land on how long did it take to your start? And they're like six months. And I said, yeah, right. They didn't do any parts work. So that part, and I know this is an interesting thing that you and I know what we're talking about, right? This idea of what I've got parts, does that mean I'm schizophrenic and I've got multiple personalities? No, no, no. It's, <laughs> no. Just, it's just a way to talk about it. It's just a way yep. to talk about it. There is some aspect of that person that is smoking for a reason and swap out the term smoking for whatever else, right? Yeah. If you don't attend to what that part is doing and sort of get the agreement from that part and maybe give that part something else to do that's beneficial, you just come, the habit just comes back. Comes back. And you're yep. back where you are at the start. Yep. I see it all the time. And it's not, it's not a negative reflection on the other hypnotist, the other hypnotherapist. It's just like that bit got missed. Yep. And like, okay, let's wipe that out. Bang. And it sounds to me like what you're talking about a lot with this coaching model is it gets down to that level as well. Yeah, you get you get down to you know understanding uh, what the benefit is of the problem. Yes, because they're doing because they are doing it. Um, the most people are doing, and again, this is a very NLP, and in the, I would imagine in the hypnotherapy world as well, where people are really genuinely doing the best that they can with the resources that they have, and so even the most weird behavior that can seem addictive or obsessive that just seems can seem ridiculous it, it actually has a side benefit even if it's something that they say they hate about themselves mm-hmm. they're still actually getting some kind of side benefit so one way and again um, there's many different ways of doing this type of work but one thing to do can be to illuminate their awareness of the benefit and then they have to come to the awareness. And again, there's ways to help them facilitate this, that they need to be prepared to let go of the benefit in order to get the new, whatever the new uh, state or new behavior is. They need to be ready to release the benefit of the thing that they say they don't want. And that can push people's buttons quite significantly. Sometimes oh, they yeah. Yeah, yeah, this year, no, I'm not doing it on purpose. But, Again, you know, with work, this is, you know, the work, the aspects, and I still have things that I'm like, oh, man, you know, I probably should or shouldn't do this. And mm. and I'm like, oh, okay, oh, I've got some work to do, you know. So yeah, it's shooting yeah, again. Yeah, I'm shooting all over myself. So <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's it's a, it's a cliche, and I'm, 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 I want to make it absolutely clear that I am a work in progress. Like I'm, I've learned a lot of this stuff Aren't and studied a lot, a lot of this stuff because uh, – I'm probably like fucking need it the most. So um, I'm very, I'm very aware, well aware of that dynamic. So mm. yeah, but there's, there's often a, a, a hidden benefit that once you bring it to light and when I say bring to light, like it's interesting, the language, what we're doing is noticing we're we're our consciousness is able to pay attention like when we bring something to light and just the act of paying attention to something has massive healing potential. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, so that in, in and of itself as, as a process, especially you can do this work yourself, but it can be sped up working with a coach mm. where, where the external perspective and can help turn you back to look at particular bits that we may or may not have um, had a full witnessing of what's going on, or we can mm -hmm. go maybe a little deeper um, depending again on, on whether that's appropriate or not. Uh, but just the act of noticing some, I, I call this the steps living the seven attentions where like, once you understand what they are, like, well, what, how do we make it practical outside of a coaching? Like how do we, how would it be a, applicable just as a good way of living? Mm -hmm. And, and so I call these steps living the seven attentions. So the first is just sort of wake up and pay attention to things. So no, notice that you're the one that's noticing. That's the first one. So like literally be present and notice things. And then be truthful about what you notice. Like literally just speak your truth or see your truth in what you what you notice. So sometimes when we notice things and then we have an internal whatever it is, then we'll go, I shouldn't think that. And then we, oh, I don't want them to know that, I th that I'm really thinking that. And so then my communication is no longer the truth. And you do this enough with yourself, you know, it fractures people's mm -hmm. energy and personality to the point where it literally makes people sick. Um, oh, and so, and, and it makes it hard to communicate and going back to the, the business side of things, like your, your ability to connect with people is completely, it's messed up obliterated because there's no authenticity on it. That word has just been, <laughs> but it's rushed. true. The connection's like not that. there. Yeah. You, you, can't, you can't, can't connect because the, level of energy and the what, what's being shown up is not the truthfulness of what's actually going on mm -hmm. so what the person is trying to connect to is not the real substance of the person and so the connection may be there but it's very limited it's mm -hmm. not it's not not really a deep knowingness and seeingness mm -hmm. and feelingness of the of what who and what that person really is so an interesting this is a sidetrack but interesting thing as a coach even if we did no technique, like no tools, no strategy, but just sit there and see the person for their brilliance has transformative power. Of course. Just that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so this process of living, what I call living the seven attentions, first thing is to pay attention, mm -hmm. be truthful, to feel what you're feeling so like you know you you observe your emotions so not just distance observe them but be in the emotions so if you're seeing and noticing something and you're telling the truth about it feel what you feel about it be okay with it be okay with it like this is what my body's telling me or this is what you know this is how i'm reacting to it mm -hmm. the next step i call withdraw your faith now, this is an, in, an interesting one because it depends what you're doing in the context. Sometimes you do want to give faith to things, but it can be helpful to withdraw your faith so that you're not making um, assumptions around why things are, you're perceiving them the way that you're perceiving them. 
and do a little bit of a deeper look. So again, revealing, doing the work to reveal uh, what the meaning is that you're making and then just checking in whether that meaning is the absolute truth. So there's a, a brilliant, this sort of thinking, um, is it, I don't know if you've heard of Cartesian thinking. So where you have this example and then the opposite example and then the inverse of the opposite and the opposite of the, yeah, it's just a way of turning your mind around. There's a brilliant book by Byron Katie, um, uh, Loving What Is, and she calls it The Work, where you do that sort of process. Again, it's in many, many different um spiritual or mental training disciplines where you where you examine whether it's truthful whether it's absolute whether you know it's absolutely true and then compare what you think is absolutely true with what's actually happening and often you discover well, your truth that you're projecting onto it is not what's happening so the truth that you're pushing out on there is not really the truth and then being able to do things like putting yourself in the other person's shoes um, or looking at, well, what if what I think is the opposite, what is actually what I'm thinking, what if the opposite is true? And again, just having some behavioral flexibility around that, but that step I call withdraw your faith. So you basically just take, take a, a, a bit of a step back and just really try and see what's going on as impartially um, as possible um, so that you can make, better informed decisions as opposed to just reflex habitual um, triggered uh, decisions. Um, then the fifth one is just do your best. So the behavior that you actually do, just, just do your best. Like if, you've, if you're noticing what you notice and you're telling the truth and you're feeling what you're feeling and you're paying attention to what's going on, just do your best. And that's like, because otherwise what happens is you can get to a point where you can get stuck because you don't know what the best thing is, so you do nothing. Yeah. And, uh, and that's not helpful either. So just, just do your best. Um, and then once you've done your best, review what you've done with love. So choose, like, choose to see yourself with love and forgiveness and compassion for your own humanness um, and for your own you know, imperfections. Just have that capacity to you know, just choose how you see yourself with, with that love and compassion. Uh, and, and then really just the, the seventh one, um, really it's just living with some kind of purpose. Like doesn't have to be anything massive and like save the planet type of thing, but just be being, and this is more, I would say more important for men than it is. And again, I'm generalizing, but this is a little bit more important for men that you have some guiding uh, purpose for what you're doing with your life so that it just orients you to how you're showing up and that it becomes like a self-sustaining feedback loop where you're noticing what you're noticing and you're being truthful about what you notice and then you're embodying what you feel and then you're giving yourself a chance to review why you feel what you feel and you still go about your way doing the best that you can, giving yourself and others that love and forgiveness because nobody, none of us are perfect and, and you know, we're all doing our best. And then just you know, living in such a way that each day you're, you're just you know, 
one step, the next best step towards a particular purpose where the day-to-day is the fulfilling of it, as opposed to I have to get to this destination that's necessarily a long way away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the purpose being the way of doing it, like the way of living. Um, yeah, the journey, a, not the destination. The, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's how to, that's a, a way of, on a very practical level of living into the insights of, of the seven. Um, and having having a martial arts background, you uh, you can um, recognize the energy archetypes for each one. So we could we could label each one. The seventh would be infinite source. So we would typically use the words God or um, Allah or you know the divine mind or whatever. They're, all consciousness is when you trace it back coming from some unknowable, mysterious, infinite, infiniteness, then we are witnessing that infinite infiniteness from a particular point. And so to give that a label, we would say spirit or soul. So we have the divine mind of which a part of that is able to witness the divine mind we would call soul. And that is actually the original act of creation where the divine mind turns to face itself and in seeing itself, witnessing itself, it, it, and this is very esoteric to say it, it opens up the void. So it's similar to having a mirror facing a mirror, opens up infinity. That's kind of an, an insight into what may be happening with the origins of physical matter where there's some infinitely connected, very difficult to understand force that matter is coming out of this infinite nothingness into form and then going back into nothingness as this perpetually unfolding uh, loop. But when you, when you trace your own awareness back, sometimes you have glimpses, and I've had some very significant glimpses of this, where you recognize that there's a part of you that's not your mind, that's not your body, that is that is aware, and it sometimes can glimpse the totality. Um, and and so giving them labels, we could say, okay, so we've got source, your unique awareness, and your unique awareness, I could talk for hours on it, but it's often... Um, it's not it's not a singularity even though it's a single point it's it's influenced by collectives so I'll, I'll probably leave it at that but then we have the void which is the in the physical sense it's the unfolding of time space out of nothingness into the real time that we're perceiving and then in terms of the unfoldingness of the elements traditionally you would say air fire water earth as the the process of the unmanifest coming into form and then it goes backwards into the the infinite nothingness so the the process energetically that's a very old way of sort of looking at it but each of the attentions when you go when you go into them they have these other qualities to them that you can and the label's not what it is and it's not rock and it's not water and it's not but it's just a, there's a way of understanding the dynamic um, that you can map that you can map out, and other people 
can when you go through the experiences of it you can actually you can you can experience it um in different in different ways so so it's 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 very interesting and uh, i'm still learning about it yeah it's 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 fascinating um you know and there's a lot that i don't understand about it but in terms of a a model it's very very useful as a map when you when you map it all out because i'm still being fairly simplistic as to um the description of it but when you when you map it all out it's it's very useful because it helps you understand how we're creating the reality experience that we're having it's um, beautiful it gives people the opportunity to understand what you want to teach using the way we communicate potentially and, you know because wouldn't it, it would be lovely if we could just sit in circle and hold hands and transmit the knowledge maybe that's and, possible and maybe maybe we can and <laughs> maybe we, we can just we just i haven't it. not yet i haven't worked no. that one out yet no not yet no it's fascinating it is and it's the, i'm sitting and listening to you talk and it's really interesting because i i feel like i've got an idea of the path of how you've worked through from martial arts through business into coaching people and you come almost right back around yeah it's absolutely. like coming back to source right yeah it is I'm on my uh, way. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we're, we're talking about marketing, but we're not really talking about marketing, right? We're talking about existence. It's mm -hmm. just that when we understand all of these touch points, then marketing makes sense because we're not pushing shit down people's throats. You know, ethical there's, marketing. There's yeah. Ethical marketing because you can use this information to reprogram people's identities and yeah, have the them do arts. things yeah you, they have them do things that otherwise they probably wouldn't do of course of course um, absolutely my assumption is anyone who's bothering to listen to this isn't in that part of the world thankfully. <laughs> that's my assumption i don't know you know like a presuppositions and assumptions yeah anything anything's possible but it's true like i've got you know, my bookshelf behind me i could pull out cialdini right and you, yep. you read what's in that and you can use it for good or for evil 100 i've got I've got, you know, Bandler and Grinder up there. It's good and evil. So it just depends on which way you want to take it. Yeah. And I, and I, like when I first started learning about NLP, my introduction was through a sales guy when I was working in IT as a early 20 something man who didn't know how to tie my own shoelaces. So it was all very nefarious and, and it was about tactics and getting results. Yeah. So I wasn't really interested. And Band was this polarizing figure. Oh, yeah. But then when I went back and read the eventual, uh, the, the sort of the origin books, The Structure of Magic 1 and 2, mm -hmm. it's all about therapy. It's all yep. about helping people. And then it got sort of fractured off into different ways that you can use it. So when, again, go back to source. It's beautiful. Yeah. it's The trick is then making it useful, though. And, and, and NLP... Uh, it's it's a it's a method of modeling mm -hmm. and so it could be argued that the model that i've created is just a um like it's a model of the way your consciousness is modeling things um and so you, it could be argued that uh some you know that's just nlp which maybe it is i don't know uh but yeah, then where did nlp come from you can look at how they sat at the feet of Ericsson and learned his hypnotic methodology 
which he didn't come up with. He learnt, he learnt that in through his experience and through his readings. Yeah. So it's it's back and back. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like saying that a song is uh, plagiarized from another song just because it sounds similar or it has the same. I mean, people have been uh, sued millions of dollars because a song had the same vibe. Yeah. Okay, but like, it all comes from the same place. You're all everyone in rock and roll is probably referencing Chuck Berry at some point mm-hmm. in this way, right? So, what is, is Chuck Berry going to get everyone's money? So it doesn't. I don't think it matters who you reference, because we're all trying to find a way into the work. Yeah. Or or give other people an opportunity to walk through a doorway. Like I call my thing wholehearted. What does wholehearted mean? It could mean anything for anyone. But it, it gives people a question, like what's wholehearted? But to me, like I say to people, wholehearted is about jumping into your life, like going all the way all in, in, rather than being half-assed. And then people can have a giggle because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm half-assed about a lot of shit. And then so I have sort of three pillars and with under that three little things. And it's more, where are you doing really well at the moment, at the moment, and where, where do you need to maybe focus because you're letting yourself down or do you focus on your strength because that's powerful at the moment and, and you choose to leave this one behind for a bit and they're just words. And I use words like resilience and mindfulness and awareness and curiosity and openness. And until you give that some content and context, they're just words. So wholehearted is a bit, is a beautiful label for going into the work. Wholehearted, you know, magical. Shout out to it. Brené Brown. It's it's all hers. Like, okay, there you I'm go. Just sitting there listening to her book one day, and that word came up, and it kept coming up, and it kept coming up. Tick 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 tick. This is a red light. Yep. Knows you noticed it. Word. Yep. It's a repeating okay, that pattern. Means something. Like, okay. Got Pay it. attention. Take that one. Yeah. Work with it. And surprisingly, there was not a lot of other people out there using that terminology. Good. And I, I just flew under the radar with that for a while, talked about the concept of it. Even when I was doing business coaching for gym owners, this is how I f- kind of organically, like you said at the start, moved into therapy. Because people would stop themselves doing the really basic, what seemed to me to be obvious based on a coach, that person, they did this and you're not doing it. They're, do- they're doing this and you're doing that. Let's see if that works for you. Oh, I didn't do it because this got in the way, this got in the way, this got in the way, this got in the way. Ah, okay, so we've got a story. Yeah. That won't work for me because it didn't work last time. Well, put your foot in that river. It's not the same river that you put your foot in two days ago. It's a different river. So again, we're getting starting to get esoteric and metaphysical and all this kind of stuff. But how do you communicate that to people? Well, we're working on you. We're not working on your business. We're working on you. That's powerful. Yeah. How do you do you the best you can do you? I like that. One of the things you said earlier that I just, I didn't want to butt in because I wanted to absorb it was do the best that you can. That stops you from getting stuck because there's a pile of stuff you can do. Yeah. What's the best thing you can do for yourself right now? Yeah. What's the next best thing? Hmm. 
and it's important right now because we're, we're, some of us are stuck, maybe physically locked down, maybe stood down, maybe yeah. our business as it exists at the moment can't work. Maybe our relationships as they exist at the moment can't work that way. Okay, so what's yeah the next best thing that you can do? Maybe you can't do what you want to do, but what can you do? That's a, just a lovely way to think about life because then you're never stuck. Not for long. You'll get stuck, but not for long. But you can unstuck yourself. Yeah. And that as a skill set, that's very valuable. Like recognizing, okay, I'm, I'm not moving forward here in the way that I want to experience moving forward. What, exactly what you're saying. What, can, what could I do? What might I do? Mm. What might work? And by being resourceful as to what possibilities are, you, you, you're less, already less stuck. Because uh, you're seeing get... opportunity rather than restriction. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You were saying something earlier, and I was thinking, and I know I, I used the analogy of smoking, but it's such a powerful one because it's simple. That I had uh, one lady who came in and she told me her story around smoking and her, about, she told me her habit really. And she said, mm-hmm. I don't smoke in my house, I don't smoke in other people's houses. I only smoke here in my house. I'll go outside and I smoke. And I said, So, you quit every day and then you take up smoking again based on your own rules and structures. So you already know how to quit. It's just that you've never taken the step of not starting again. And she was, she said, ah, oh, what? I know how to quit. And that was pretty much all of the work that we needed to do because she realized that she had the resources already. She already had all of the skills and understanding and the habit that she needed to make the shift. It's beautiful. It is just amazing when people go, ah, I talked a couple of, a couple of conversations ago about the aha moment. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. The epiphany. Yes. And then realizing that it's just one epiphany on the journey and it doesn't answer everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's a funny saying, um, what is it? Before enlightenment, enlightenment chop wood carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood carry water. And it's 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 true. It is true. But it's beautiful when we have these. Ah, you know, just for that moment, you get it. It's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're never the same after those moments. You, oh wow, and then you're a different person because you, mm-hmm. you're seeing things differently. Yeah. Yeah, my, my biggest aha moment was lying under a tree one day and I just worked out it's all good. It's all good. But it's kind of like the feeling was everything's going to be okay. And, and like that has never left me. When it gets shit, it's still all good. Do you remember the tree? Yeah. So you go in your mind, go to the tree and there's an anchor. Yeah. And, aha, it's mm-hmm. okay. It's all good. Uh, yeah, I was walking down the... I do walks in the national park here just about every day. It won't be today because it bucketed down rain last night. It's still thinking about doing it today. I just put my hand on the tree. Mm. Yeah, now I'm connected again to that, whatever that was. I don't know what that was. Beautiful not knowing what that was. And There's something, that was- something about being free of the need to know mm-hmm. as well. What's well, getting out of the head into the yeah. heart, right? We were talking earlier about 
don't have to think about everything. It's good to understand it. It's good to have concepts and labels and processes. How do you feel about that? Use that information, the intuition. We were talking about sort of uh, male, female, masculine, feminine. And I think one of the things, and again, like you said before, it's generalization. Nothing holds true across all the whole spectrum. For men, getting more in touch with that intuition that mm-hmm. we have. Yeah. I, I see my wife, she just gets stuff and I'll sit there and think about it forever. And she's just, she got it. She's moved on. And it's not necessarily a male, female thing, but it's something about, again, I don't know. Is it the energy? Is it, is it genetic? Is it the way we're connected back to source? I don't know. I don't care that I don't know. But there's something for me to pick up there and learn. Yeah. Yeah. So the the if we to map this out as a mm. series of circles, for example. Mm. So the bottom circle being the first attention and then right up to the seventh. Left and right of each of those is four other um, archetypal, the masculine and feminine. When you let go of your own identity and you open yourself up with that cure. You mentioned that curiosity, that sort of state, the, and again, I'm generalizing whether you're a man or a woman, the feminine um, energetics, which on the, on the map is the, depending which way you're looking at it, it is on the right hand side is empathy and intuition. So you're opening yourself up to connect to another person or other events. And you have, and again, everybody's different, clairaudience, clairsentience, um, you know, different cognitions that come up that are, that are sometimes not limited by time or space. So we have knowingnesses that just kind of occur. And um, when we get out of our internal dialogue, out of our identity, mm. that is a, that's a feminine aspect. Now, the masculine predisposition of that same state is creative genius so when you're in that uh either curious or not so caught up in my memory you actually have non-linear problem solving so men tend to do that we have both abilities we have both the masculine and the feminine um, and there is a lot to be said to integrate these these two um but so the the two at the beginning there is is empathy and intuition and then we have this creative genius problem solving so guys tend to want to solve all the problems and the feminine side is more to just connect and be em- 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 empathize um, and again these are generalizations but and you can map all the way through with these the further up you go there's um you know, so the, the the masculine aspect of the third attention when we really get into feelings is is this understanding of, of focus and sometimes called the law of attraction where um, if there's something that you feel strongly about, you tend to super notice it and you will bring it into your field of awareness. Whereas the feminine aspect of that is healing. Uh, and again, these are just labels for these different dynamics. But when we're really aware of what we feel, and that is connected to something either internally or externally as a focus, you raise its presence in the, your field of awareness. Um, and when you are even just sitting and being listened to, 
is is healing. Um, so again, those are both aspects. Uh, and there's other labels we can give to it. Then further up, um, when we're getting more into um, sort of the fourth attention, uh, then we have the masculine aspect is more decision-making leadership. Um, and then the, the, the feminine is your standards. And then further up, then we have, uh, it's kind of like your, it's a capacity for prophecy. It's kind of a way for saying it. Um, but this, this ability, uh, if you were to give each of them an archetype, the fifth archetype is the king. Um, so when you can maintain that awareness in the present moment, you have benevolence and you have, um, it's a provider energy for the masculine side. Whereas the, the feminine aspect of that side is more about um, and I'll say this in a loving way, judgment. Um, and so again, and there, there's more aspects to this, but I'm just sort of giving you some examples. Like when you, mm -hmm. when you're aware of where your consciousness is sitting and there, there's archetypes for each of them, um, people that embody each of those archetypes quite well, you will see them doing these particular that not only do you have to integrate both sides of your natural polarity to really maintain the center at that attention, but you will, you will archetypally see different abilities and skill sets that, that people exhibit. Um, and it's interesting you're talking about intuition, but that that's, you know, it's a very, very common occurrence when you start letting go of your own, an internal dialogue. It's often you, there's ways of shutting your internal dialogue off, or you're letting go of your own stuff. Mm -hmm. You become, you can connect to other people, and you can have empathy. You can have, you know, you can intuit things that otherwise you wouldn't naturally be seeing. And so, yeah, it's 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 very very interesting. Again, it's not a perfect model, but it's um, doesn't it's, it doesn't yeah it's 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 still it's still very very useful because it can take you places you can use it to get to places mm -hmm. um so yeah so it's 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 pretty it's pretty cool i love it i love all of it yeah it's fascinating it's uh just the work is just eternally fascinating i i liken it to jujitsu it's 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 you never get to the end of it no it's jujitsu for the soul you think you know something and then yep there's an, another layer you're like oh you get that epiphany you're like yeah. oh i thought i knew it, but oh really oh, oh wow i'm i'm okay. watching i'm watching uh so i recently got my oh, about six months ago i got my brown belt didn't expect it at all so I, I think i'm going to be the eternal purple belt yeah just a gray-haired guy who just helps everyone up the scale and down the scale then i get called by yoshi and brown belt and i'm like is there another adam right is there another adam here that should be getting a brown belt right now? but it's been interesting because that step up is so close to this mythical black belt that below the brown belt people start to pay attention to what you do and what you know mm. so it's almost like having another label right and i've been watching the journey of the more experienced white belts moving into blue belt 
and just having those moments, but watching them have those moments of learning something new because they're beyond everything being new. Yeah. And, and they've gotten to that, that point in learning where they've realized how much they don't know. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful to watch. And of course, when you're in the physicality of it, as, as the more experienced practitioner, you'll catch them with some kind of a move and they'll be like, what was that? Where did that come from? I didn't see that you were setting it up. And I have moments now where I'm like, I don't, Hank, can you, you'll just have to give me a moment. I don't know what I did. Yeah. You have to work it out. <laughs> I have to work it backwards. And then you're in the I, moment. Yeah. I know what I'm trying to go toward, but if something else pops up, that's a better opportunity. I'm going that way. Yeah. And so you know, in and on top of that little journey that you're talking, that's never ending with coaching clients and you know, my parallels always coming back to jujitsu and then watching these different phases of learning. Yeah. You no, you don't. Jujitsu is beautiful like that. And I love it because it's so embodied. Mm. Like it's, you know, there's the mental understanding of it, but then there really is the embodiment of it. And so there, just that in itself is a, is a layering of um, the unfolding of the art in itself. It's like, okay, I get it, but then you, I can't embody it. Mm-hmm. And then bit by bit by doing the work and you start to notice more details and mm-hmm. I can really get the feeling of it. And okay. And I can then abstractly apply those principles in ways and just start making stuff up in the moment. Like it's, 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 absolutely a very a very real metaphor for the same thing yeah, it's, it's like playground it's, it's, for a lot of that stuff yeah it's beautiful. work out the outside work in the dojo it's yeah cool. it's 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 powerful but the other thing that i love about jujitsu is when and this is, could be true of a lot of different activities but you go in and you're training and you forget about tomorrow and you what happened earlier on the day is gone you're just you know you can be really really present um, because if I, if you're not, you're getting choked and armbarred and swept and, and whatever else. It's kind mm-hmm. of this, it's this beautiful, very physical way of uh, just very practically bringing yourself back into your body. You have to pay attention. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's awesome. Like rock climbing, bouldering, mountain biking, some hard, you know, difficult track. Yeah. All of gotta, those kind gotta, of activities where you've got to be attention. on it. Got to yep. be on it. Yep, or you're boom. Yeah, there are consequences <laughs> if you're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Hey, brother, let's leave it there. We've gone pretty close to two hours. That's and I know uh, that we could probably go another two and not even scratch the surface. But I think I'm going to get the fifth um, <laughs> from my puppy shortly. She's going to be like, "Why have you not paid attention to me for two hours?" Well, this, this has been this, great. This is hopefully there's some entertainment or some kind of value for for your list your listeners. But um, you're doing really great work, like the you, wholehearted man and the 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 message and the the space that you're opening up and the opportunities you're giving um, is is powerful. So you know, I honor what you're doing, and and it's really great to see you. You know, especially in these times, you know, being uh, able to offer, you know, this kind of support. It's, it's awesome. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. Thanks for being part of it. Beautiful. All right.